0: Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show. We have a packed show today, as it seems to always be, as we get closer to the 24 election. I'm with my co-host, Bill Quinn. Welcome, Bill.
1: Good afternoon, Todd. It is going to be a very interesting day, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is. Uh, and welcome to our War Room Posse audience, the John B. Wells Caravan to Midnight Network and Conservative Daily out in Denver. So we are syndicated worldwide now. Uh, I think John B. Wells has about 8 million listeners so we're excited about all these relationships that are coming on board. We're brought to you by the Georgia Record or georgiarecord.com. Again, pack show today. We've got David and Aaron Clements that are going to talk about FirstNet that was disclosed this week, which is fascinating. So that'll be a really interesting conversation. Then Chris Gleason is going to come on again and give us an update as to the unfolding story of election fraud in Florida, primarily, and across the United States, including Georgia, obviously, and uh Wow, what a powerful presentation, back to back. And then we have we're going to talk with Nate Kane, who's going to give us some historical information on what happened uh, prior to all this and how a lot of this fight against the deep state has evolved. And then next week we're going to have Mike Doherty on again, who's going to, who was one of the earlier warriors about 15 years ago and uh, fought the FBI and the FTC and actually won in court. So that'll be next weekend. So we'll look forward to that on Sunday. And uh, any thoughts on Wednesday, Bill? At this point.
1: Well, we have invited a couple folks on, and we'll probably be talking about some of the uh, uh, strange machinations since the indictments came out. Um, Various folks are coming forward, uh, calling for actions. Others are saying, oh, no, don't take action. Um, The governor at uh, the event at the end of this week uh, talked about uh, potentially testifying at the uh, trial of President Trump. So, uh, getting pretty interesting we're going to try to cover as much of that as we can on Wednesday and then uh, I bet some of it will flow off into next Sunday as well
0: definitely please sign up for our no ad subscriptions you get access to all of our sites I mean we are breaking news and I would uh, watch uh, cdm.press this week because there's gonna be some really powerful information coming out I'll foreshadow foreshadow that a little bit but don't I know a lot of people don't like ads, and I say this every week, but sign up for our no-ad subscription. It's 10 bucks a month, or there's a yearly discounted rate. And fund free media. We need truth-tellers badly in this nation, and we're one of the tip of the spears. So please check out the top right corner of the GeorgiaRecord.com or georgiarecord.com, and it says sign up with no-ads or subscribe with no-ads, I think it says. So check us out there, and support free media and turn off Fox and the rest. So with that, I'm going to bring in David and Aaron Clements, Welcome back to the show, guys, and welcome for the first time, Aaron.
2: Thank you so much. Great to be here.
0: So you uh, uncovered a public safety network. I'm going to read what you told me that basically pulled in election equipment into this cellular network that uh, can be monitored and possibly uh, altered as far as our elections are concerned. So I'm going to just let you guys explain what you found.
3: Well, just. I think first off, we just want to recognize the efforts of Dr. Charles Bernard and, and Sophie Anderson. They were the primary researchers and they gave us a lot of this information. We tried to, synth- to synthesize it the best that we could. Aaron's the primary author. I, I think it's helpful to just kind of set the stage. And, and anytime you look at a crime taking place, you got to have access and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Access and opportunity. And so the First Net story really gives us a clear picture about access and opportunity. Um, uh, many people are familiar with this mythical tool called hammer and scorecard. And I'm not saying that first is that, but it se- certainly seems to have a lot of the qualities that you need to be aware of. Hammer is known for being a tool that allows you to monitor election data real time. Scorecard appears to be a tool that allows you to make adjustments and change the score in elections. Those are the, those are the purported functional capabilities. So in earlier stories, Aaron and I, um, talked about these things called Albert Sensors, which, uh, you know, we've got agreements that are uh, being executed between the Secretary of State and this group called CIS in all 50 states. And what does it do? It allows uh, the Department of Homeland Security through these private partner uh, NGOs to monitor election data real time. So that's Hammer. Now you also have to take a look at integrated software that exists throughout the United States. And you've got different vendors, whether it's B-Pro, no Inc, VR Systems, 10x. And what are they able to do? They can change election data real time, a la scorecard. But you have to have connections. You have to have connection points throughout America. And that's where FirstNet comes in through the use of groups like AT&T, T- T-Mobile, do we have a grid that allows people to basically get into these, these systems and allow the monitoring and uh, the, the the manipulation of, of election data real time. And so that's kind of the overlapping um, structure that we're working with. And with that, I I think Aaron would probably be best suited to drill down exactly what we found and, and why we believe that this is a bombshell story. Great.
2: So there were a couple, well, multiple um citizen-led investigations one was in dallas county texas and the other was in st john's county florida and we detailed both of those in the article and the dallas county um there's actually a, a two hour presentation done by representatives from Verizon and cradle point, which provides the modems and um, election officials from Dallas County. And they wax lyrical about how safe and secure they had made their uh, connections to the, to the internet for the, um, the satellite voting centers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they put up a, 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 um, uh, schematic bill. If you, if you could pull that up, it's the Dallas County schematic. Slater that, that one right there, the pop-up site model. So this is what they confessed, how they were connecting all of the polling locations to the internet using cradle point modems. And you'll notice that they're confessing that they connected the tabulators, the voting machines and the e-poll books. They both go to a cradle point modem and then they have, um, they have redundant networks, cellular networks that they're connecting to, which is most likely FirstNet because that's what cradle point modems are used for is to connect. Public safety, um, critical infrastructure to first net.
1: Can and I then- ask one one question before we go on? Yes. Did you say the tabulators were in this model as well and connected? Yes.
2: If you look in that box that says vote centers, there at the mm-hmm. top left corner, it says voting machines. So they're admitting okay. that they're sending the election results uh, over the internet as well as um, information on who's checked in. That's the e-poll books. So and for then folks, it's all connected.
1: For folks in Georgia, just to make sure they they're getting this, the tabulators are the what some people refer to as the scanners. So they're the the device that actually scans the ballot after it comes out of the BMD. Correct. You know, and it's and that's been a question mark as to whether anybody could prove that they were communicating. So this is very interesting. Please sorry to interrupt.
2: No, no, no problem so that was dallas they were admitting that they had standardized connection um to the internet across however many polling centers they had then there was another location st john's county florida where um there's a screenshot in the article if you want to pull that up bill where citizens uh went around the one part right before that citizens went around to the 15 polling locations in their county and everybody took a took out their cell phone and took a screenshot of all the wi-fi networks that were that were in, you know, that could be picked up from that building. And when they got back together, they realized that every single polling location in St. Johns County had a a Wi-Fi network called Let the Dog Out. So it too had a standardized connection um, to the same network, which really could only be FirstNet. So um, this led the, the researchers to, you know, down a lot of rabbit holes. But um, one of the, one of them being there was a meeting um, in 2019 of the Election Assistance Commission Board of Directors or Board of Advisors, I'm sorry. And they're supposed to keep an eye on the EAC. Um, they're supposed to help them really get the standards in order, um, which really they're not doing that. They've essentially um, let their real responsibilities go. And instead they use this meeting to discuss what would we do if there was a, unprecedented disaster that hit the United States and affected the presidential election itself.
3: So, so to that point, just so people realize, um, Aaron um, and many investigators found out a couple years ago or a year and a half ago that the accreditation for many of the, the components that we use in elections were lapsed. And so we were administering elections in 2020 with um, virtually most of our states having their certifications not being compliant with the law, so these these board of advisors completely had an oversight over that. But simultaneously, around 2019, in prophetic fashion, they 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 thought about well, what happens if we have some catastrophic event, some type of I don't know, pandemic, some type of health emergency, where um, we have to have stay-at-home orders. And people have to stay home. And it just happens to be during a presidential election. They had the foresight to talk about that in Mm -hmm. 2019. So on the one hand, absolute lapse of accreditation uh, with with respect to certifications in um, our elections. But they started war gaming exactly what which would later transpire in 2020. And uh, so that's the framework that we're dealing with. And there's one particular senator from our state by the name of Daniel Ivy Soto. And uh, Aaron can, can speak to this about, um, you know, some of his suggestions that appear to be Im- implemented across the United States.
2: So while they're trying to figure out what would they do if we had a national uh, state or what do they call it? Stay at home orders issued that affected the presidential election. How in the world did they know that was coming? Daniel yeah. Ivy Soto chimes in and he says, well, we could use FirstNet and we could connect all the e-poll books and the, uh, the election night reporting systems to FirstNet so that, that that is not interrupted during a presidential election. And then they the meeting was two days long and there's lots of dialogue, but the board jumped on board with that and they they talked about how are they gonna use their, technically they don't have the ability to force election jurisdictions to set up their networks the way they want them to. That's not written into HAVA anywhere, but they could use their uh, their influence in the federal government to push those things. And it looks as, like that's exactly what they did.
3: So, so the, the, one of the key points here is that you're looking, you're looking for two-way interfaces. Uh, the ability to, to go in and take a look around uh, how your election uh, results are being tabulated, monitored, e-poll books, voter registration, and the Albert sensor that we've talked about exists within the firewall. So you've got a way to look in and take a look around to see how things are going. But it's a two-way interface. This first net um, system allows basically instantaneous um, monitoring and the ability to, to to overwrite that data at any place. So there's there's greater connective tissue, and I think we already knew that f- uh, from a general standpoint when we saw uh, spikes in voter rolls in New Mexico, changes in voter registration in Hawaii changes uh, or duplication of addresses in Florida, we saw automation across the board, including the cast vote record summaries. So People are asking how in the world are we seeing this impossible sequence of votes? If you can breach the firewall, take a look around and make adjustments, now you've got access, now you've got opportunity to pull off this crime. Um, so once again, we're, we're kind of left with Uh, greater granularity. And I think the granularity that this article offers was we weren't sure how things were being done at the the precinct level based on the the quote unquote air gap. And this first net story gives us another explanation on how uh, the deep state, if you will, the election cartel can drive down to the most local of areas and carry out these subversions. So let me ask you a question. I mean, there seems a lot of people are saying, well, this, you know, you don't have any proof
0: of this or this may be just one way of doing it. How do you respond to that? Just so we get that out there.
2: It probably is just one way of doing it. If Uh, if there's a Dr. Bernardin made a a schematic there, we put at the end of the article, if you could bring that up, Bill, but they probably have a dozen ways to cheat a dozen ways to monitor data mm -hmm. because states, um, set up their election systems, which are actually quite complicated in different ways. They have to have multiple ways to get at everything. If you have all-inclusive software that's essentially running your entire election, then getting at everything is easy. But some states, they have they might have no ink for poll pads, but they have something else they're using for election management and something else they're using for voter rolls. If you have FirstNet coupled with Albert sensors, So the Albert sensors are placed on the permanent networks, like at the Secretary of State's office and the county clerk's offices. And then you have FirstNet at the polling places. It doesn't really matter what software they've chosen for each one of these functions. They can funnel everything through themselves, CIS, uh, the EISAC, essentially the Department of Homeland Security, and their private partners, Um, and they can use man-in-the-middle operations to change things at will. And it's, it's not just them who has this access because there was an article came out, it was actually just a couple of days before we published our article that I didn't see until afterwards. But Newsweek just published an article talking about how insecure FirstNet is and how they're all extremely concerned that it has significant Chinese influence. So this doesn't just leave the door open for our own government to manipulate our election, but also foreigners.
1: Yeah, one data point, by the way, for uh, for Georgia is um, research mid early twenty two showed that Albert sensors were in use and, and are in use in Georgia today, yes. and I believe we found them in all one hundred and fifty nine counties.
0: Yes.
3: Yeah, so what I what I would piggyback on that, Todd, your question. Mm-hmm. I think what's happening is that the subversion of our election system has become much more centralized. So if you were to ask. Uh, nation state vulnerability experts about how the system was being breached in 2016 versus 2017. Mm-hmm. It's going to change. Yeah. Um, so I guess Aaron's point, my point is this is that there's operational um, supremacy from start to finish. If you want to, um, you know, sub- have a subversion of the election file housed on tabulators prior to the election, even beginning, that can certainly be, uh, be achieved. If you want to, you um, monitor and uh, interfere with the tabulator during an election. You can do that with weak credentialing or no credentialing at all. That can be achieved. But I think those two are less um, advantageous given what the deep state has uh, created through use of the Albert sensors and these back doors. So now you've got basically a one size fits all integrated software in every one of the states. And, and now with those Albert Sensors, you're literally inside of the firewall. You're inside the American people's house and you can walk into the bedroom that has voter rolls. You can walk into the bedroom that has election night reporting. You can walk into the kitchen that has, uh, you know, ballot on demand printing. And so it's very easy to get your metrics and analytics inside the house. And now you've got a point into and out of the house through this network to to basically manipulate change and report out whatever perception you want the American people to have about the elections. And it's so back end that the election workers, the people that work at these uh, locations are so in the dark. This is so independent of anything that they do on election day. Um, So I I see something that was more or less a little clunkier. You can subvert the election files prior to an election. You can have algorithms deployed that way. And if you have a break in case of emergency thing where you have to make an adjustment uh, during an election, you could certainly do that by hacking. But all of that has become less and less necessary with the Albert sensors and the integrated software. And I guess just to hit this home uh, as hard as I can, the FirstNet story basically shows you... In fact, Bill, if you can show them the second image, which is the coverage map, um, we, you want to see if there's a vascular network. Here's your network. You basically have access and opportunity in every single jurisdiction in the country, certainly mm-hmm. in the swing states, certainly in the states that, that matter most on Election Day. And so, again, uh, we're not guessing. I mean, yeah. we've been gaslit, to, to, you know, till the, the cows come home. We have the receipts when it comes to voter registration spikes. We have the receipts when it comes to the changing of addresses. Thousands in Broward County, Florida alone, 75,000 fictitious registrations created in Hawaii. Um, And the cast vote records, I keep coming back to this. We cannot forget that over 400 cast vote records in over 300 counties have been analyzed. You want to figure out how that can be achieved. It can certainly be achieved, achieved through the integrated software um, and the first net network.
0: Let me let me, sorry, one Go quick ahead. question, Bill. Yep. Um, it seems that with surveillance, it's all about it's done for healthcare reasons and for election fraud, it's done for emergency reasons. Are there any other like overarching emergency networks that you know of that should be investigated?
2: no i think this is is the one
0: okay. it was
2: created at, right after uh two thousand nine eleven 11 they okay. they said they had trouble having getting emt and fire services um you know adequate communication so that's when they hatched the idea of FirstNet, and it was built over a long period of time um until mm-hmm. it is what you see here they finally decided we're just going to preempt the cellular network that existed that everybody uses and we'll mm-hmm. give you know uh, emergency services um, priority over everybody else when we need to. And then just a couple of days before Obama left office, he made election systems, critical infrastructure, which gave them access to this network you see on your screen, um, where really there was no reason to make it critical infrastructure. And they don't really mean it because if you make something critical infrastructure, it actually triggers, triggers a whole set of standards that you have to comply with. One of them being, you have to have in-depth, um, properly qualified cybersecurity experts uh, write reports that the system has proper cybersecurity protocols. They haven't done any of that. So it's wow. just, it was just an excuse to give them access to this thing, which is under the control of the government.
3: Yeah. Wow. And when we say first FirstNet for, for, this, for, for folks edification, um, it really started with AT&T, but all of the other service providers, whether it's T-Mobile or the other big ones, Verizon, they have basically the, the same uh, functional capability to use this, basically, have their their network through preemption also be part of this overarching um, uh, map that you're seeing. So, when we refer to FirstNet, we're, we're really talking about all of the major telecom providers as part of what FirstNet is now. So, if, if people want to quibble over it, we understand, but it's really hard to keep track of all the different moving parts. So when Aaron and I are talking about FirstNet, we're really talking about all of the the coverage that we're seeing between the major telecom providers. So
1: one of the things that you uh, you talked about earlier was all the, <clears throat> the different ways that you could both look in and then also potentially manipulate things. And you'd mentioned a video earlier. I think we, we were able to cue that one up. Did you want to talk about this and, and let yes. folks see that one?
2: Absolutely. This is from Dallas County. So, we showed you how they had connected everything with a two way connection to FirstNet using cradle point modems. And then you can see uh, the result of that connection. I mean, that's the first time from get announced at 8:300. And I only had 600. I was okay. I'm still now, losing. I'm now at 8:17. Amazing. I watched my
3: headline. It's 7 o'clock. I know. we're all
4: physically watching
2: it. Well, it's going to be contested because they were already saying that there was not going to be any results tonight. Yeah, it is going to go
3: over a week. Okay, you can bring it down. <laughs> so, so, Bill, that, that that proves our point. Um, you've got the ability to to take a look around. You can manipulate the poll books. You can make adjustments. And um, in many respects, if you look at other pieces of, of the machinery, sometimes you wouldn't even be alerted to these types of changes. So on the poll books, we're lucky that someone – had uh, the wherewithal to record that and see it. Um, we've previously reported on the Dominion tabulators where the machines can be asleep and yet they can be accessed and manipulated that way. So when you look at you know, the, the functional capabilities of a B Pro No Ink 10X, not only do they have a handle on quote unquote voting technology, that's the tabulators. They also have a, a degree of control over the quote unquote non voting technology. And that's everything else that you deal with. The, the poll books, even though they're, they're absolutely integral to the voting system, are, are designated as non-voting technology. They actually take up a huge part of um, the election system. And the reason why I bring this up is that the, the certification um, controls for all of the quote unquote non-voting technology are, are virtually non-existent. So um, if you can affect that, there's not rampant testing on the poll books. Yeah, It was interesting,
1: the the uh, poll books, um, some folks know this, but in Georgia, they they did a uh, beta test, if you will, of a different style of poll book that could uh, both print and all of a sudden they admitted they could communicate and, and so forth last year. Now, I've, I've, I've asked several times, you know, where was the certification testing for this new piece of equipment? Have yet to get a clean answer on that. Yeah. There is any. Yeah, and one one of the things that I think is kind of important in all of this, and you, I think you really said it, but there may be multiple different scenarios for communicating into these systems. Yes. So, poll books are like um, they're not exactly the same, but they're very similar to iPads that folks carry on. They might have Bluetooth. They might have Wi-Fi. They might have cellular. They might be using some combination potentially. Is that fair? And, and so yeah, there's no, multiple it, different
3: vectors into the into the, all these systems. It's very fair, and we're finding that at least with the high-speed tabulators, at least one high-speed tabulator in urban areas is usually connected with the election management system, which is networked. Um, and so if you've got a poll book uh, that's, that's hooked up, you now have your list as to who has shown up and who hasn't
2: shown up. But David,
0: up. the governor of Georgia said they weren't connected to the Internet.
2: <laughs> they have to be to work because what they're doing is they're checking the central voter registration database. And when somebody shows up and checks in, they they have to mark in that that they've checked in so that it shows up at every other voting location yeah. that this person has voted and don't let them vote in your precinct as well. In fact, our statutes in New Mexico have codified that they must be connected to the internet.
3: <laughs> yeah, in fact, and, and I know that Todd was being sarcastic, but we lost our sense of humor about two years yeah, ago yeah. I know, yeah. on all these things. But, <laughs> oh, but it's time to get it back. <laughs> in, in every single jurisdiction where you've got voting convenience centers, and Bill can, can help me on whether or not you've got voting convenience centers. I'd be shocked if you didn't in places like Fulton County. Those poll books have to be hooked up to the internet by law the ems systems have to be hooked up to the internet by law the reason why they're lying to us for gas line is for a small period of, of the time the tabulators are not supposed to be hooked up to the internet and they're telling us as long as they can protect this thing called the air gap with a straight face they, that's what they're saying is that their machines aren't hooked to the internet but it's so sloppy in the way that they're describing it because is because you got so many different pieces of machines or machinery throughout the system. And I think this gets down to what I just said earlier about what they're describing as voting technology versus non-voting technology. I think with a straight face, they can say, none of our voting technology is hooked to the internet. Now we've caught them lying at that as well, but they're really just pinpointing the tabulator. Yeah, And in their, in their mind, as long as the poll books are doing what they're doing, the EMS is doing what they're doing, it's irrelevant because we've got this closed system, someone's taking results from the closed system that is the tabulator, and they protect via the the air gap before they upload it through the EMS. So- um,
2: And the truth is you really don't need to know what's going on in the tabulator if you have poll books that are connected to the internet because you know what turnout is. If you have just a little bit of pre-election polling, you can model yeah. the whole election and you're going to be within a couple percentage points of the result. You're going to know ahead of time without even looking inside the tabulator.
1: So well, we, we, see the, we see the explanation of the network or networks. It could be different in different places. One more question for, I can imagine coming from the uh, uh, technology industry from years ago, for the network guys out there, is there yet or is there a way to acquire actual information showing the transfer of information. Um, some network guys call packets, some of them just, just call transactions and so forth. There's a way to, to see that as this process is being um, followed by these various parts of the network.
2: I, well, I think CIS certainly knows because they're collecting all of it. Um, I think another way maybe to see it would be if you could get system logs from the poll books themselves that it would say when it transmitted such and such and how it was doing it. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, and we tried to do that bill in New Mexico. We did an audit um, in uh, eight counties. One was more of a full forensic audit, but the other ones we did micro audits. And we requested access to the poll books. We found out that in the state of New Mexico, they're rented out. So we couldn't even acquire possession. So when you start talking about the, the, the crucial information on getting those system log files, um, keep in mind who's writing the code. It's not the legislators. It's basically special interest groups, i.e. the vendors. And they find sponsors like Daniel Ivy Soto. And you end up looking at the code that you have to work with. And every single time there's something that you know would answer the question, that's exactly what's being withheld. Mm-hmm. But we know where to look. We know where we would want to look to get the information. But the other thing that Aaron mentioned is this private partnership between CIS and the Department of Homeland Security because CIS is a non-government organization. They're not subject to the same rigid standards that you have with public records requests. And so that's the reason why the government has worked with these NGOs is because they can basically hide behind the shadows and not have to uh, adhere to the sunshine laws that are on the books.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, with that, I think we need to move to our next guest, but I'm sure We will have you back as this story develops. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Take care. Thanks Thanks so much. Wow. So, yeah, we're going to dig into that more for sure. Not enough time in the day. I think we'll probably slip Nate to maybe Wednesday, but um, we'll see. I'm going to bring in Chris Gleason now. Welcome back, sir. Hey, how how are you guys doing? Well, we're learning. So uh, (laughs) what are you going to teach us today?
4: What am I going to teach you today? Well, um, what I'm going to talk to you about is, uh, has a lot to do with the data um, mm-hmm. that uh, Professor and Aaron Clements just talked to you about. Um, here in Florida, um, we uncovered some stuff, um, and we were very concerned. So we set up a meeting, a um, lady by the name of Chris Quackenbush. She had set up a meeting with myself, uh, herself, um, Raj from Defend Florida, and Tim Meisberger from the America Project. And so we we went to Tallahassee to have a meeting to discuss with him because um, because he was told by DeSantis that you had to take this meeting. So we went in and we we had a meeting. and um, it was uh, it was it was pretty hostile. <laughs> it was a pretty hostile meeting. Um, ultimately, uh, what ended up happening was, you know, we told them that we wanted to get rid of the machines and that there were a lot of other issues that they really needed to address. And uh, Court Byrd started off, uh, you know, by telling us that um, we needed to bring him prosecutable evidence uh, to, that he could convict somebody in court with. And I, I asked him, I'm like, isn't that what the election crime's uh, division is supposed to be doing. And then I, we, we, we discussed how, um, you know, it's not, I know that it wasn't his fault that um, the real election criminals hadn't been prosecuted because his office didn't have prosecutorial power that rested in the hands of Ashley Moody. So the, uh, the meeting really didn't go so well. Um, he was, telling us what we were doing wrong and how we're uh, bothering all of these poor supervisors of elections. And so I I made the suggestion to him that all they needed to do was take all of the election data and put it in a folder on the website of every SOE. And he laughed and he said, that's never going to happen. and. You know, it's kind of funny that here we have somebody who has a duty to act, who has the supervisory duty over the Division of Elections and all of the supervisors of elections. Um, he, He could have picked up the phone right then and there, and he could have ordered Maria Matthews to order all of the SOEs to put all the election data in a folder
0: on the website. You're talking about public available data, like public, roles. Uh, yeah. Rolls,
4: audit logs, everything. I mean, everything. Yeah. All the reports that we've been suing them over. Yeah. And so, you know, some of those reports where we've been digging and since we've found lots and lots of evidence of significant um, election crimes by supervisors of elections and these blank ballots that... We have found and all sorts of other things Mm -hmm. like the access to the machines that the Clements were just talking about and how um, there's a there's a log, those system event logs. Well, what's been great is over the past few months, as we've been digging um, and I've been working with uh, the Justice Society, we've uncovered some great stuff. And there aren't, all of the election officials out there aren't bad. Uh, I have to, you know, before I thought they were all bad and all in goods, but that's not the case. Most of them are here in Florida. We've got one that I think uh, he's, he's, he's doing better. He needs to do a little bit more better, but he's, he's coming along, um, but well, we have some really great stuff that we have now from Illinois, and we have some great, more great stuff from Texas. And, you know, it, it, was, it was really funny. This week, Cord Bird, was, uh, Cord Bird was on Twitter, and he was talking about how uh, Trump and all of this uh, conspiracy theory that the election was stolen, right, is just that, a conspiracy theory. And I thought that that was really disingenuine because Cord Byrd himself, he has participated in the destruction of the evidence here in Florida, him and Ron DeSantis and Ashley Moody. So I have an email that I'd like to share, um, with, with all of you. Um, do you have that file or do you want me to present it
0: here? Uh, where did you put it, Chris? Um, um, I don't. I, don't I sent it to you. Okay. So let me uh,
4: do this and we can do uh, a share screen. Does that work?
0: Actually, I have it. Here it is. Hold on. Let me just bring it down. I didn't see it come in. Um, so give us a second. And. It's coming now. At least I thought it was. Why don't you work on it and then I'll work on it and then one of us will get to it quicker. Okay. Hold on. Oh, it's a PDF. I can't show that. Uh, okay. So that's why it didn't come up. Um,
1: uh, I think you might be able to. Give me just a second. Let me confirm that.
0: How would you do it with the? uh...
1: Yep. You should, uh, you can show a PDF. Just go to uh, uh, the present tab, slides, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and on your computer, and then pick out PDF. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. A little tech support in the show today.
0: Yeah, man. Okay, here we go. It's processing. There we go.
4: All right. Excellent. So here we are. This is a recap of our face-to-face meeting with Cordberg. And so one of the big things that, were, that we tried to address with him that was highly problematic, I spent probably about two hours with him on the phone a couple of weeks prior to this, and he had a, um, he, got, he got really mad at me because I was calling out all of the supervisors of elections for not doing adequate list maintenance, cleaning the voter rolls, you know, and in our conversation, he admitted to me that some supervisors of elections are better Uh, at list maintenance than others and essentially um at that point list maintenance is enshrined in florida election code and they required to do this and there was steps and processes in place well essentially what cord bird did is he admitted that he knows that uh all of the supervisors of elections in florida were breaking the law but Some were doing it uh, more or less than others. And, you know, what was funny about this is, you know, these were one of the things that they uh, used to cover up the election crimes that they themselves had committed previously. Okay, And they did this through SB 7050. So if you want to if you want to go to the the next so this was a uh, right here at the very bottom of this voter focus, this was that's a um, that's the VR system software that they themselves use to conduct list maintenance. So they have daily things that they're supposed to be doing that they're not doing. Hmm. So if you go to uh, the next next page right there, so we then talked about the press conference that they had had at Broward County. And we talked about how he had, uh, Pete Antonacci, he said that the the biggest problem that Florida had was the voter rolls. And in that press conference, Ron DeSantis said that, that they had made some arrests and that they were going to preserve all the data. and, he talked about how you can't have policy reforms. And if you're not actually enforcing the laws that are on the books, what difference does it make? Okay. And so I I found this really funny because here we are, you know, a couple of weeks at, you know, a short time after this election crimes uh, press conference, they talk about how if you have the laws on the books but nobody's enforcing it, what difference does it make, right? Well, they said that they were gonna preserve all the data. Can you can you go to the next next screen? Okay. So here Court Bird said, oh no, no, no. Um, he didn't say that. And I'm like, okay, well, my recollection of this is definitely different, but we'll address that. So in this email, this after the, our meeting email, um, I addressed those points. And so As you can see here, um, with that particular, at that particular YouTube stamp right there that I saved it at, it says, I also want to be very clear going forward that we're going to continue to make sure that the laws are rigorously enforced. And one of the things that we are going to do, we want to do, is to make sure that all the records we have from the most recent election in 2020 are preserved. Well, they destroyed all of that evidence. All of those records that they claimed that they were going to preserve, they destroyed. That's pretty interesting stuff. So I guess it makes it easier for you to claim that there's everything's a conspiracy theory, right? If you're actively obstructing justice by destroying evidence, right? So this all was really, really distressing to me. And so over the past few months, uh, prior to this, I had started including people into emails. And if you, if you want to scroll back up to the top, you could see who I addressed that email to. So right there, you have, um, you've got Bird, you've got, Brad, um, who is the general counsel for the Secretary of State's office. You have David, another one of the attorneys there. Oh, look at that. You have Governor Ron DeSantis. Next, you have the CFO for the state of Florida. You've got the lieutenant governor. You get citizen services, which all of those get routed to Ashley Moody. Then you have Maria Matthews. Then you have this next person there, A. Young and some other folks. Now, I'd like to build um, a chain of custody here. I'd like to build around this. And so what we have here is definitive, uh, we have some definitive evidence of significant election crimes being presented to the governor, the secretary of state, the attorney general's office, the other folks there, The CFO is important because financial records they have to maintain and they can't destroy those. There's special um, laws about that. We had some other folks there also uh, BCC. Um, We had the chief inspector general for the state of Florida and an investigation gets opened into this. Um, I get an email from the chief inspector general's office. Then when we push them, on it, um, they said we're going to refer to this investigation to the um, inspector general who works for the Secretary of State. So I replied back to them and I said, "Hey, you're gonna, you're going to just to get this right, you're going to refer a complaint and in an investigation about crimes committed by Cordbird and all of the people." in the Secretary of State's office and the Division of Elections to the Inspector General who answers to Cordberg and all of these people. And, they and say, just
0: to be clear for our audience, the crimes you're saying are destruction of evidence, essentially. Destruction
4: right? of evidence and the viol- all of the multiple violations of Florida election law, which, by the way, they did a really good job of trying to legalize, <laughs> to include... Uh, the data that we need or that we need to uh, ensure that the elections are free, secure, honest, which we know that they're not, especially here in Florida, and which is uh, the big reason why we're suing. So
0: essentially, again, for our audience, they passed SB 7050, which legalized or, or pre- legalized the prevention of providing you the data you have been using to find the fraud, essentially. Yes,
4: and it also legalized a lot of the theft of the election. Mm-hmm. And now, so who was behind this? Who was behind the passing of this law? And that's an interesting question because you have an illegal organization. That's uh, an illegal lobbyist organization funded by taxpayer dollars and money from the election fraud industry. That would be Dominion. That would be ESNS. That would be VR Systems. And then there's some other interesting uh, organizations in there um, that had something to do with this. So,
0: and how did you find this information? All
4: public. All of this is all public, open source, public records requests. Mm-hmm. I do. We do massive public records requests, yeah. and we gather data. And we just know where to look for stuff. And so we find and we find things. So the logs that in the reports that we're suing over here in Florida, right? They like to claim that it's critical election infrastructure. They like to claim that it's trade secrets, but it's not trade secrets because we actually, in fact, have obtained some of these reports and some of this evidence and So we know what's in the reports, I have it, I've provided it to uh, teams and attorneys all over. And this unequivocally, unequivocally proves the activity that the gaping holes in security that Professor Clements and, um, and uh, all of all of those other people, all those other folks, uh, the the uh, Dr. Charles from uh, Dallas County, Texas. Uh, Dallas County, Texas. Um, essentially, what we found in the admin logs and the event logs that we've obtained show us they show that there are massive errors. We for for Georgia, right? So in Georgia. We took a we got a look at the s logs, and in Gwinnett County, right? I got an s log. It was twenty thousand somewhat, twenty thousand somewhat timestamp lines. We identified no less than seven thousand errors in that s log. How can you have that? You can't. Same thing with e s and s thousands of errors you know far exceeding we're and what are these errors well a lot of these errors are um the changing of ballots from what is considered a cast ballot right a ballot that is uh, i go into my precinct and i select and i go and i scan my i go to scan my ballot in and the machine adjudicates my ballot as 100% blank. How does that happen? Well, we see it. We see scan points being changed. We see the machines being reprogrammed in these logs. We see the misconfiguration of the machines intentionally by supervisors of elections to not notify um, a voter that um, that their right to vote has been taken away. I mean...
0: So let me just summarize. So you've found the actual logs that are supposed to be public records, which show massive electronic interference with the elections, and they're suppressing that, essentially. They are. Okay. They're hiding it.
4: And they're yeah. hiding it between, behind trade secret exemptions and critical election infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, so right now, um, we obtained a bunch of logs in Wisconsin. And they redacted all of the IP addresses from the logs, mm-hmm. and their claim is, "Oh, well, you can't have those IP addresses because it's critical election infrastructure." Well, actually, you can change IP addresses pretty easy. Mm-hmm. That's not an excuse, and um, it just it doesn't hold water. Okay. Gotcha. We need to know. We need to have transparency. We need to know if somebody's remoting in because we know that those tabulators are connected with modems, which, by the way, if a state is relying on the EAC certification for their tabulators, well, guess what? You have They have just conducted an election with an uncertifiable machine, a machine that has Voided the certification of the entire voting system. So how can you certify an? How can you legally certify an election if you don't have certification, a valid certification on the machine? Yeah. So this is this this email here is pretty important, right? Because you have a lot of people here that are copied on this, Mm -hmm. and you know, prior to coming on your show. Uh, In in these segments, you know, I had worked really hard to try to out that out these things and out um, out other stories as well, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly with the uh, act blue money laundering networks that we uncovered. Right. Mm -hmm. All of this stuff really is interconnected, because if you question the integrity of the elections group called C.I.S comes down on you and they censor you and they call you a conspiracy theorist and you're flagged and then they demon, you know, they, like they do to you. Right. Mm -hmm. You've got organizations like the Soros fund funded organizations that attack you and attack your advertisers after you published the story on what we did with the blank ballots. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you have some nonprofits organizations, you know, There was, uh, there's a few of them that we went to. Um, And uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that here, right now. Um,
0: Yeah, go ahead, just, uh, I wouldn't drop any specific names, but go ahead. All right, so
4: there's a a particular uh, nonprofit uh, uh, news organization, Citizen Journalism News Organization and there was an individual there who was wielding a great amount of control. And that individual apparently um, has been, had been wielding a lot of power to suppress the stuff that they were covering. And it wasn't until um, James O'Keefe went out on his own that he was able to cover uh, part of the stuff that we had shared, you know. So you, was-
0: you provided him the Act Blue stuff, right?
4: Yes. So all of the Act Blue stuff that is, that had been a uh, uh, stuff that we had identified months and months per- previously. Um, it had uh, it had been covered um, with on sto- on the Stone Zone. It had been covered in uh, the Gateway Pundit. And it had been covered in the Epoch Times. And then uh, James got into it and he used uh, my data and all of my stuff to help launch uh, OMG. So So, essentially,
0: that was the story where you'd go to an old man's house, you know, 80 years old, and he's voted 40 or donated 40,000 times in the last week or some crap like that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So,
4: What's really interesting about this, right, is, it, like again, I'm going to say it's all interconnected. So mm-hmm. this money laundering operation, there are certain organizations that have been the great beneficiaries of it, okay? And a lot of these were Soros organizations, um, Soros PACs, PACs, mm-hmm. like the one in Georgia that sued True the Vote. The one that um, that 501 C3, that um, really isn't doing 501c3 non-partisan uh, stuff, which is illegal, by the way. Yeah. Um, also, organizations like the DCCC, right? And um, all of these organizations, right? They they have some things in common. One of the things that they have in common is they're represented by Perkins Coey, okay? And all of these organizations have um, the same thing in common. They all receive and are the beneficiaries of this massive money laundering network where we know now that elderly people have had their identities stolen and um, prepaid credit cards and debit cards and other types of asset accounts were created in their name and then done at a, Scale that um, a small-time operation could not potent, could not possibly manage to do, and this was used to fund the campaigns of people like Raphael Warnock in Georgia, to fund organizations like the Democracy PAC that funded the Center for Internet Security. Ooh, Center for Internet Security. They're supposedly a nonpartisan nonprofit, right? Funded by the democracy pack and massive amounts of federal grants. Hmm. So as we look at this whole network of very nebulous nonprofits, these 501c3s that take government money, if you did you know that if you take uh, more than a million dollars from a government grant, and you don't do what you're supposed to do with that money. Do you know what that's called? I can guess. It's called major government fraud. So my question to the audience is this, and the, my question to the Department of Justice is this: How any IRS, by the way, because um, if you uh, if you're taking illegal funds. Um, that creates a taxable event. If you are committing nonprofit fraud, that's an IRS crime. That's actual crime. If, you have, if you've taken in excess of a million dollars, and they've been doing this for a few years now, right? It becomes major government fraud. The Center for Internet Security was supposed to establish the baseline for security for all of these elections. Well, why did they not do anything about the fact that the DS two hundred modems—I mean, the DS two hundred tabulators—have modems attached, and they're unsecured. I mean, wh- wh- how is that? So, but what they do do with the Center for Internet Security does right—they do censor people. They censor people. Uh, they censor people on COVID. They censor people um, like us. They put us on lists. Right? They deplatform us. They deperson us off the internet. And, you know, it's kind of funny. So you can't tell me, one, they're nonpartisan because they are. You can't tell me that they're securing the elections because they're not. Because anybody who has even a basic rudimentary understanding of technology, like establishing baselines, would have said, hey, Mr. Supervisor of Elections, you can't administer an election on a machine run on windows 7 in november 2020 when microsoft had stopped supporting the operating system in january of that year there were i don't know probably no less than like 80 or 90 or 100 security bulletins right so yet this organization that's supposed to be about our election infrastructure. They want to keep us from seeing the data in the logs to the systems that they didn't secure intentionally. Why?
0: So let let me just summarize again. So you have specifically in Florida and Georgia, uh, the machines committing uh, massive amounts of election fraud. And then you have a... Uh, basically government officials covering it up and enabling it and also censoring the release of information through actions with news organizations to stop information coming out about what they're doing. I mean, is that essentially what you're saying? Uh,
4: That and they're um, illegally trying to hide public records. Now, this is the big thing. And everybody across America needs to know this, right? Right. It's really, really simple. It's the simplest concept, really. All government power is derived from the consent of the governed, And if they are removing Americans' ability to consent to the election of our representatives, and they're doing so, and they're covering it up via various unlawful means, they have overthrown the constitutional government. That, that's a problem. We have a constitutional crisis here. Now, yeah. there, is no, there is no higher public interest, right, in the understanding and knowing how our election officials conduct our elections. Because if you don't trust the elections and you don't trust what's going on, then there is no trust. They have no consent and we, the people need to hold them accountable. So everybody, they need to be demanding that all of these logs that they're trying to hide be released because they don't control, they don't contain any proprietary or trade secret information because the right of me and your right and every other America's right to know that their ballot was cast and counted accuracy, accurately, that is the that is the cornerstone of a of a democracy, of our nation. They can't hide that from us. If they try to hide it behind critical election infrastructure and IP addresses, well, you know what? I could we we haven't we get we the network administrator can flip a switch and change all of the IP addresses in a minute. Yeah. So they have a problem. We don't have a problem. They have a problem. And all of this has been caught. They've all been caught. And we need the help of everybody out there who's viewing this because. As much as Ron DeSantis and Cord Bird and these other crooked election officials, right, they think that they deleted all the data. (laughs) That's the great thing about the audit logs on these DS-200 tabulators. They didn't delete it. So you can get rid of the election, but you can't get rid of the entire log on these machines.
0: Hence the the Election Fraud Legalization Act, right?
4: Uh, They're trying, but they can't. (laughs) Because they're going to lose, they're going to lose, this. they're going to lose in my lawsuit, because what they're doing is unconstitutional. And it's, you know, the, the cover up of high crimes and treason, because that's what this is. This is treason against we the people, because they can't, if they're not a legitimate government, if they don't have our consent, everything, it's, it's a nullity, because fraud, because fraud vitiates out all things, right?
0: Yeah. Well, Chris, I think we've run out of time. I think we're going to have you back, obviously. Uh, I think yeah. you're going to be a regular over on the Georgia show as we uncover what's happening in states across the nation and in Georgia, specifically and Florida. And Bill, do you have any questions?
1: No, that's, I'm uh, fascinated. One of the things that I noticed about both our sections so far uh, today, what what it's feeling like is the pieces are beginning to to come together in a way that you can see the the bigger picture. Thanks to your work, Chris, and thanks to the work of, uh, you know, of, of David and Aaron uh, Clements, I mean, and, and, and the others that supported them, the pieces are beginning to fit together in a way that you can actually see uh, better what's been going on in, in part, at least.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. Please sign up for our no ad subscriptions. Thank you, Chris. We'll have you back and uh, please support free media and uh, we'll see you Wednesday night, 7 PM Eastern. Thank you.
4: Thanks.